Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. We're looking at the wonders of the world. This is a phrase we've all heard at some time or another, right? I feel like you hear this a lot in um, elementary school and middle school history. Oh, yeah, for sure. The seven, right? Yeah. When you're learning general history, this is a big deal because you're you're going back into BCE and you're looking at the things that humanity has been able to create that literally, if you look upon it, you you will experience wonder. Mm. There we go. Yeah, that's a great definition. And of course, uh, nowadays, some of the world wonders are more famous than others. There, there are a couple on the list that... Um, that might seem unfamiliar to a lot of us just because we don't think of them that often. And it might surprise some of us tuning in tonight to realize that there's still a lot of mystery about some of these world wonders. One of them in particular, this evening, we are on a search for the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Here are the facts. So let's talk about what those wonders were. We kind of mentioned it already. They're exceptional Human-built places, it's architecture generally, that existed in the Middle East, in North Africa, they're in Egypt, in Southern Europe. Um, one of them existed allegedly in Babylon, which is pretty far to the east of a lot of these other places. And, you know, how, again, who made that list? Who decided those are the wonders? Who was the world traveler that was, you know, writing at the time and saying, dang, guys, you've got to see these pyramids. Mm-hmm. It was it was a guy named Philo of Byzantium, but not but there's more than one Philo of Byzantium. So it becomes really confusing. It's like someone says, 
oh yeah, I'm I'm visiting Philadelphia, and you say, oh Philly, do you know John? Mm-hmm. John Take me from to Philly? Steve of Philly. Yeah. Yes, of course. So there there are a lot of philos in play, and uh, historians believe that the compilation of these wonders goes back to Alexander the Great a notably humble guy who conquered a vast swath of the Western world uh, right around the fourth century BCE. And this, to your point, Matt, this gave um, people of that society of the Hellenistic travelers, this unprecedented access to all these other civilizations, ancient Egypt, Persia, Babylon. And just like travelers today, uh, posting on Instagram or sending letters, they wanted to share their experiences with their friends back home. This was an immensely entertaining thing and educational, you know, even though it was often riddled with errors. Uh, they were not originally called wonders. They were called things to be seen. The, <laughs> the list was like, look at this stuff. Points of interest. Yeah. yeah. Just roadside so. attractions. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And and people got competitive, right? Oh, they they sure did. Um, as as would make sense, honestly, for things like this. Like I, my, you know, I mean, it's like uh, when you are traveling and you see a sign for you know south of the border, and now it's like competing with Bucky's. You know, I mean, it's uh, there are a lot of eyeballs uh, to be vied for, um, and on a global sense, that just kind of uh, blows the whole equation up. So a lot of these writers um, were kind of making their own little listicles. Uh, and noting their favorites and attempting to get theirs to kind of rise in the overall ranks. Yeah, it's like travel blogs, competing travel blogs <laughs> in the first century BCE. But, but again, remember, most of these ancient structures were built 400, 500, 600 years before these writers were making their lists. And we've got one uh, here, right, Ben? This is from uh, Antipater of Sidon. Or Mm -hmm. Sidon. Yeah, who Um, is an epigrammist. What a weird job. Yeah, but he made a list uh, of wonders, and uh, we've got a quote. I have gazed on the walls of impregnable Babylon, along which chariots may race. That's one. And on the Zeus by the banks of the Alpheus. That's two. I've seen the hanging gardens and the colossus of the Helios. That's three and four. The great man-made mountains of the lofty pyramids. Five. Gigant- the gigantic tomb of Mausolus, huh? Mausoleum, right? Uh, so six. And then he says, uh, but when I saw the sacred house of Artemis, the towers to the clouds, the others were placed in the shade, for the sun himself has never looked upon its equal outside Olympus. So like to your point, Noel, he's, he's saying, yeah, there are definitely seven. Here are six. But here's the real banger. Here's the real banger. It's true. So, I mean, there is definitely a lot of wiggle room in these, at least in terms of like depending on who the source was. And then it's all about who do we ascribe as the ultimate authority on wonders of the world? And are they even telling the truth? Are they describing things that they actually saw? Are they big upping things that maybe weren't quite as impressive as they're describing them to be? Entirely possible. But but let's point out something really important in that quotation there. The first sentence, I have gazed on the walls of impregnable Babylon, which chariots may race. Now, that's one little phrase there. The next phrase isn't, and the hanging gardens, which, you know, the hanging gardens, as we're, we're, we're going to talk about, are supposedly in Babylon. And he didn't mention them when he's talking about the walls of Babylon. He mentioned them way further down. 
He's just like also gardens that hang uh, yeah. somewhere. And uh, Herodotus does something similar to uh, to your point, Matt. Uh, he is an earth an early adopter of world wonder list or this genre. And he comes about just a century after Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, when he writes his world wonder list, he doesn't mention the gardens so far as we can tell, because like a lot, like we're going to see a lot of people who write at this time, their writing disappears. And we only know about it because later writers name check it or reference it. So we don't actually have uh, Herodotus's uh, list, his list listicle. Uh, we just have references to it later. And we need to mention there Nebuchadnezzar that you just mentioned is allegedly the person, the king, Nebuchadnezzar II, the king that built this thing that is known as the Hanging Gardens in Babylon, allegedly. Well, and, and today we have things like UNESCO World Heritage Sites, and there's like whole organizations that are devoted to pointing out these incredible features of, of the known world. Um, and they there are cross-references and there you know, are historical precedents for these things. This stuff is a lot of hearsay, you know, and there isn't like one unified organization that's uh, identifying these things. So uh, it gets a little murky. Mm, it sure does. And just for a name check, uh, we'll give you the rest of the of the wonders of the world, the canonical ones. Uh, this comes from the list made by Philo uh, back in the day, a Greek engineer, uh, or another Philo from Byzantium. Again, it gets Farnsworth. Confusing. Yeah, yes, it's, exactly. it's the inventor of television. Philo Farnsworth is an Amazing dude. (laughs) I'm thinking of the professor from Futurama. (laughs) (laughs) Also a good, also a good reference. So uh, the Great Pyramid is by far the LeBron of this list. It is the oldest world wonder. It is the only one still standing. And it was old when they first started writing these lists. You know what I mean? It's hard to, it's it's difficult for us to understand just how long that pile of rocks has been around. Some people think it was there before the Egyptians. Yeah, yeah, before they started calling themselves Egyptians. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there are some people who think it was there before humans. Uh, that'll be a fun episode, right? Uh, so then there's the statue of Zeus at Olympia. Um, Big as heck, 40 feet high, encrusted with gems and ivory and ebony, super impressive, quite a spectacle, destroyed in an earthquake. Yeah, it's kind of funny, too, because Zeus is like a statue of a a statue holding a statue. He's also in his clutches holding a statue of another uh, pantheonic figure, Nike, the goddess of of victory and uh, and sportsmanship. Mm -hmm. I made that second part up. Nice. (laughs) Then Then you got the goddess of the hunt. Artemis, there's a temple for her in Ephesus, Turkey. Then we have the mausoleum of Halicarnassus, also in Turkey, which is uh, what it sounds like. It's an incredibly uh, ornate, uh, elaborate mausoleum. Destroyed by an earthquake. Yeah, you know. (laughs) The Colossus of Rhodes, that's one a lot of people have heard about because it's uh, depicted in so much fiction or it's uh, it's inspired so many um, visual 
elements in film. Wasn't there a thing in Game of Thrones uh, that was very much inspired by this? I believe it was called, you know, it was in, oh gosh, what was it called? The the, the Titan or something like that? Or Bravos, the Titan of Bravos. That's it. That's yeah, right. Boom, yeah, massive. Yeah. And also in Lost, there's a big part where they all of a sudden see the remains of this kind of Colossus type Greek statue that I believe is a nod to, to this uh, big boy as well. Um, next, we have the Lighthouse of Alexandria. Uh, big old lighthouse, 107 meters, 350 feet tall. Um, you know, uh, not really much different than the types of lighthouses that we see today. Very technologically ahead of its time, which is, I think, part of the marvel of it all. And, and what it happened was to destroyed it? by an earthquake. Yeah, yeah earthquake. And then, <laughs> and then the Colossus also went down to earthquakes. I think that one of our exceptions here is the uh, the temple you mentioned, Matt, the Temple of Artemis. A human destroyed that one, mainly to get famous, because people. Uh, so the, the last one is the Hanging Gardens, which are conventionally called the Hanging Gardens of Babylon in modern-day Iraq. And that last one is the most baffling, because even now, in 2023, no one can agree on where these gardens were, what they looked like, or whether they existed at all. So did someone make up a wonder of the world? I, I don't know. Let's we we've got to figure this one out. You want to pause for a word from our sponsor? I think that's smart. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave. And then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. 
The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Here's where it gets crazy. All right, so we got the one still standing, the pyramid. We've got five other wonders that are gone or smashed to ruins. Uh, but but if those are gone, how can we know that they also existed? Uh, mostly writing. Uh, cuneiform, often uh, very, very old writing that is from the time that these structures stood. That's why it's a bit strange that we've mostly got classical writers like uh, Greek writers and Roman writers who are talking about the Hanging Gardens. And uh, my goodness, there is all kinds of strange descriptions. I, guys, I've got a list here from, this is from Grant Frame, who is, Grant Frame PhD, excuse me, who's an, who was in 2015 the associate curator of the Babylonian section of the University of Pennsylvania Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology. He, I guess, was giving a... Uh, a talk at some point on the Hanging Gardens, and he made this amazing list that I just took a screenshot of that shows all the different <laughs> descriptions of where the Hanging Gardens existed, what they looked like, why they were built, how they were built. Um, and it's crazy that these, again, Greek and Roman writers didn't agree. No, Nobody agreed on what the heck the thing was. Right. Like what does hanging even mean comes into question, you know, I mean, because there aren't uh, elaborate descriptions of the thing, you know, so this title of, of this supposed space um, leaves a lot to the imagination and uh, the idea of how are they irrigated? You know, the, what, what kind of technology do they possess to uh, to build such a thing in such an arid climate? Yeah, the to your point about descriptions, uh, we can tell you all about uh, these these gardens, uh, and a lot of writers did over time, and they've got some of the same, like the soul, the theme of the description is is pretty constant. Um, but to your point, Noel, the the translations that occur over the centuries make a big game of telephone. It might sound silly to say, what does hanging mean? But getting a clear understanding of what this thing is will help people in the search to find it. Because, I mean, I believe just having a garden that is hanging like that. I mean, the, the fact that you could have a garden at all that would thrive and, like I said, such a dry uh, and, and very low rainfall climate is in and of itself a marvel, you know, to be able to do that at this time would require a lot of technological advances that maybe we don't even think they were capable of. Um, but to have it like up in the air. 
you know, that's its own thing, you know. Um, and we do have descriptions of the gardens that vary, but what ultimately remains is like, how in the hell did they do something like that? Yeah, the uh, imagine, if you will, fellow conspiracy realist, a giant green mountain in some descriptions it's built out of mud bricks and others it's built out of uh, heavier nicer stone and the mountain is terraced with all these trees and shrubs and plants and and flowers that come from local uh, areas and from very far away i think what do you guys think about this is it best to think of it as like a gigantic ziggurat of good landscaping i think that's accurate yeah, it's been reproduced in all kinds of animations over the years as looking precisely like that. Uh, like a lot of the other reproductions of Babylon, of ancient Babylon, because we know to some extent what Babylon looked like, right? Uh, because of uh, who was that guy that excavated it? Uh, oh, uh, Koldave. Kold, uh, yeah, Koldave is German archaeologist that excavated the site from 1899 to 1917, like a long time, right? And we actually get to see Babylon. You can go and visit Babylon now. You can see Ishtar Gate and some of the amazing arch uh, architecture that existed at the time. So the imagining of what this place looked like is like these stepped, stepped ziggurat kind of structure similar to the Tower of what is referred to as the Tower of Babel that did exist there in Babylon, except it's just got a bunch of trees. Like you said, Ben, a bunch of shrubs and other stuff. Uh, hanging out on each level, which would be kind of crazy to be able to support plant life at each one of those levels, no matter how you got the water there. Yeah, yeah. And we don't have to go into a bunch of detail with quotes from Philo and so on, but they, what you do need to know is the impressiveness for the spectator, right? When the, the Philos of the world, the visitors in, in this Hellenistic society, when they make it out there to Babylon, according to the story, and they see this thing, they're impressed by the engineering and they're definitely impressed by this complex irrigation system. Even now, if you think about it, the fact that human beings can go to the 40th floor of a skyscraper and still have the sink in the bathroom work, that's amazing. That's really impressive, you know, and that's kind of what they were doing. I mean, hell, I, I, I'm impressed and also annoyed by the fact that I have to have a, a sump pump in my house to pump the water from my basement upstairs. And when that thing stops working, you sure as heck know it. <laughs> it yeah. gets really gross really fast. Technology is crazy. But again, that's a thing that plugs in and has a motor. You know, we're talking about for this stuff, much more analog technology. You know, things like the screw of Archimedes or whatever, like these, you know, very, very forward thinking uh, methods for raising water from lower to higher elevations. Yeah. And sometimes there are mentions, again, by later authors, uh, to your point, Matt, a lot of these people are quoting each other and remixing each other. Uh, and they're they're writing about this these wonders far after uh, they have been destroyed. Uh, there's one guy, Diodorus Sicilius, a uh, Greek historian from Sicily, who talks about this irrigation and says, there were machines, quote, raising the water in great abundance from the river. That's all pretty impressive. Uh, but, you know, it makes me think, I think we talked about this previously. It makes me think of the first time I saw the Tower of London. Like, it, it's a, 
it's a venerated building. It's historically incredibly important, but to the modern eye, it doesn't necessarily look like a tower because it takes a few more stories for us to count something as a tower these days. So maybe if we, I'm putting this out there because maybe if explorers find the hanging gardens or the ruins of it, they don't recognize it because it does. The real thing doesn't look the way it's been depicted for centuries by very excited people. I also love this quote uses the word machines because to your point, Ben, when we hear that word, we think of robotics, you know, we think of motors and and gas fueled engines, but they're talking about here what we would refer to as simple machines, you know, fulcrums and some of the earliest innovations that led to the modern machines that we know today. Um, So while these things might not have seemed impressive to the modern eye, the fact that they were able to kind of harness this stuff uh, in that way is mega impressive. So let's talk about what an Archimedes screw is, guys. Uh, fascinating invention that, you know, supposedly came a lot later than this time when Nebuchadnezzar II was ruling Babylon. But it's it's fairly simple in construction. When you think about it, it is a screw-like, a large screw-looking, uh, usually uh, wooden or metal thing that turns either it's usually through mechanical means it turns and as it turns it takes water from a water source slowly in a roundabout way up that screw till it gets you know up a certain elevation like let's say six feet up into the air uh, or, or upwards on an elevated slope and that's a way to get water from let's say in this case the Euphrates River up to the first terrace then perhaps you'd have another one once you've got enough water pulled up there going up to the next level and the next level and the next level. Um, And that would be highly, highly, highly impressive. Yeah. And also funny story, just to show you how confusing history can be. The Archimedes water screw is named after Archimedes, but it was invented before Archimedes was alive. It's just branding at that point. Yeah. It's like, it's like calling it the, um, the Google Grand Canyon. I wish I could remember the guy's name, but there's this YouTuber uh, I've, I've been watching who's got some great videos on this. I'll, I'll think of it by the end. But um, he, he said it's sort of similar to the way often many pithy English sayings are just attributed to Oscar Wilde. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. This is like, like the most famous guy, you know, kind of gets credit for all the other stuff, you know, which is <laughs> unfortunately the way the game of telephone that is history works a lot of the time. Well, let, let's just give concrete dates for this because you're you're absolutely right here, Ben. Archimedes born in 287 BCE, but Nebuchadnezzar II, who supposedly built this thing, was around from 604 BCE to 562 BCE. So, you know, just a couple of hundred years before Archimedes was around. And what's that? What, what's a couple hundred years? You know, in the big <laughs> grand scheme of things. Yeah. yeah. There's another strange thing about the literature no surviving actual from babylon babylonian text ever mentioned them ever mentioned the gardens uh so what happened could this be some sort of historical uh whoopsie could this be a no-no and and uh could could one kind of fake thing have accidentally snuck into a list of very real world wonders for scholars the best way to find to 
prove the existence of this thing starts with the literature and the literature as we've established is super confusing because so many writers borrowed from each other, remixed things to suit their own taste and time. And they spread their word to anyone who would read or listen. And honestly, that's part of why the gardens got so famous in the first place because somebody made a pitch for the Babylon gardens as a story of romance. We think. We think he did. His writing is gone also. Yeah, we've got one from, who is this? Oh, I'm going to butcher this. Diodorus Siculus. Uh, Siculus. Or S- yeah, I think that's how you'd say it. It's a Greek historian from the first century. I, I want to just give you this. We're talking about romance. Uh, here's a quote. And this is also from that same doctor from the Penn Museum. Quote, there was also beside the Acropolis the hanging the hanging garden, as it was called, which was built not by Semiramis, but by a later Syrian king to please one of his concubines. For she, they say, being a Persian by race and longing for the meadows of her mountains, asked the king to imitate, through the artifice of a planted garden, the distinctive landscape of Persia. And apparently... That story from uh, from our Greek Sicilian friend comes from a earlier source, a Babylonian priest named Berososis, uh, who mm-hmm. said who said that Nebuchadrezzar II built. He he said kind of the same story, but in his story, it's not a concubine; it's his wife, Amtis of Medea, who, like you said, Matt, wanted to be reminded of Persia. Now. Is that story true? Really? We have no way of knowing. But what we do know uh, is that it put this thing, you know, when you can't find something or you've got like something that's lost to history, but yet people are talking about it and the counts might vary, like the lost city of Atlantis, for example. It certainly uh, ignites people's imagination and the hunt is on, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, and we should also point out, uh, we talked about this a little bit off air, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, as we end up saying it in in English, right, in the West, uh, has a couple of different spellings because it's from so long ago, right, in a different language. Uh, but he also had a street name, which was like Alexander's, who was very humble, who was Nebuchadnezzar the Great. Got it. Yeah. Not, not, just, not just the fine. He was... Great. Right, I, right. I wonder if anybody was ever like somebody the best. Maybe that's a little more modern, the idea of being the best. The great seems to have been more of a go-to uh, in antiquity. But so now we've got this concept, this like, you know, uh, white whale, you know, of, of, a, of a seven wonder of the world. Um, and uh, so it becomes basically part of legend, you know, Um, and scholars, of course, try to uh, stick to the facts. But when you have all of these varying accounts and not an actual location or perhaps a, uh, you know, artifact pointing to a location, um, it starts to get really confusing. So scholars do believe that the passage in Diodorus's Bibliotheca Historica um, that describes something that they believe to be the Hanging Gardens um, is actually derived by, like you said, Ben Alexander the Great's uh, biographer, uh, Cleotarchus, I believe that's how you pronounce that, um, who was writing in around the late 4th century BCE. Oh, and like uh, the work of Herodotus, this stuff didn't survive. 
we know it existed because other writers mention it later. Uh, and this uh, this confusing game of storytelling just accelerates the confusion surrounding the locations of the gardens. Matt, I'm really glad you mentioned the out uh, the the fact that they're an outlier on Philo's original listicle. Uh, and now you've got listicles stuck in my head, but that's what they were. That's what they it's were. A fun word. Yeah, and uh, so he wrote the gardens were quote a long journey to the land of the Persians on the far side of the Euphrates, and all the other wonders were in or around the eastern Mediterranean. So we know it was far away. We know all sources that reference a Babylonian garden that is super impressive and tiered and high and has this cool irrigation. Those all come from the 4th century BC at the earliest. And folks like Herodotus, who are just one century after Nebuchadnezzar, they write this huge history of all the cool stuff they can think of. And the gardens are nowhere on that list. So how did one guy, one very smart guy, miss it so soon after? And then centuries later, a bunch of people are like Reddit-level experts on it. That's a great question. It does seem like uh, it's very odd because as this person from Penn Museum notes, there's a ton of writing on these uh, these clay cylinders and on clay tablets from Nebuchadnezzar's time. But often or most of the stuff that they have is about him and his conquerings, right? Because he controlled the largest uh, version of the Babylonian Empire that ever existed. Uh, that you know went from Egypt all the way over uh, far to the east, and most of his stuff is writing about building temples in other places that he's basically been through. Right? We rode through this area, and I built a, a badass temple, and it only took me fifteen days. Like that's literally what some of his writing said, and you can see that stuff echoing through some of the classical writers. You can see some like specific phrases like the I uh, built it in 15 days thing talking like some people mention that um, Nebuchadnezzar built his one of his temples in Babylon in 15 days. But that's actually incorrect because they're just pulling it from his other writing and attributing it to him building parts of the actual like Babylon. Um, so I don't know, man, it, uh, it does feel like it's the game of telephone. You just mentioned there that we're trying to piece it together the best we can kind of like they were trying to piece things together the best they could a couple hundred years after Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Um, I don't know. It's feeling like maybe this whole hanging gardens thing never was in Babylon. Yeah. You can see how this can get frustrating. And then some people will say, well, maybe it wasn't a thing at all. Maybe somebody just saw some plants on a hill and yeah. made a big deal out of it because they wanted other folks to know they travel, right? Um, but uh, I don't know if it's on that far uh, end of the spectrum there because we have to remember it was years ago. It was baffling. Uh, we, because of this show, I don't know about you guys, but I didn't know that Troy had ever been considered a legendary city. And it was until pretty, like until all the way up to the late 1800s, when some guy, Heinrich Schleiman, actually found it. Before then, people thought Troy was a bunch of other cities that had been confused over time or just made up for a good story. And that's one of the questions we have to ask when we ask about the Hanging Gardens of, to your point, Matt, Babylon or 
the hanging guards of ad breaks? Assyria? That's the one. <laughs> what do you, what Cereal? Do you, what do you, Assyria? What do you guys think? Uh, what do you guys think people will write about or think about the Georgia Guidestones in 100 years, 400 years? Did they really exist? Were they there? Is I mean, we've got phot- photographic evidence, maybe, but it's all digitized. Can they access it? Depends exactly on whether they can access it or not. And, and to your point, Ben, whether or not like one, you know, maybe well-known chronicler or, you know, let's say uh, proto travel blogger was the one who just said, I'm going to make this place a star because I see it and I think it's cool and I want to give get myself some clout. Um, now we have so much more access to information. And uh, I just wanted to point out the YouTube channel I was talking about earlier is Geographics. And the lovely British fellow that narrates these videos pointed out that uh, at the time, you know, these were the equivalent of travel bloggers. And today, how many travel bloggers are writing about places that they've never actually set foot in? That was not possible back then. You were observing either firsthand or quoting some of these other writers, which is, I guess that's sort of similar to, you know, just Googling things. But um, you had a lot fewer folks that were doing this that would have enough prominence to be circulated. And we're going to pause for a word from our sponsor. We're going to circulate through an ad break uh, with our own complex podcast irrigation system, and then we'll return to dive a little bit further into the mystery. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here... We have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Are you ready to fight back against crime? 
Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. We're back. There have been some amazing, incredibly impressive attempts to discover the hanging gardens. Uh, but even when those attempts failed, which they all have so far, there were still other astonishing discoveries made uh, like we've got a chat about robert coldavay like you said matt between 1899 1917 this guy led the first modern excavation of ruins in babylon and they found at one point a strange arched structure beneath the northeast corner of the southern palace and as soon as they found it they knew they were certain they had found something important that's right. They found a uh, large stone structure, uh, carved stone structure, um, that was resistant to moisture, or at least it was somewhat more resistant to moisture than what maybe typically would have been used in the situation, which would be mud brick, which, of course, is much more porous. Um, which is what most it, of the place was made out of. That's exactly right. Um, so these thick walls would have really done a fine job of supporting a lot of uh, plant life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sounds like good, good planning for a garden. Uh, there was also evidence of wells, and Coldavay took this to be evidence of irrigation. Um, they, they really dove into this, and they were um, increasingly well, factions of the excavation were increasingly certain they had discovered the hanging gardens, but later research would indicate this was probably a um, an ancient version of a warehouse. Like they even found some writing depicting, you know, X number of goods is going is stored here, etc. Uh, doesn't mean it wasn't the hanging gardens. Somebody could have been in the gardens and you know dropped their tablet. <laughs> their shopping list, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but th that's the thing. There are multiple other near misses in the search. And each time these excavations and the people leading them with the best of intentions, they find amazing ruins of other structures, just not these legendary hanging gardens. And that led scholars to ask the question that you were asking that. And I think that we're all asking what if we're just looking in the wrong place? What if we're leaning too hard on this Babylon aspect, right? What if there is some other hanging garden in some other part of the world? You mentioned Assyria. Oh, yeah, sure. We'll, we'll go to Assyria in a second. I just want to spend one more moment here on Kaldave's excavations. Guys, I think it's incredible that that team built an entire railway 
just to get the dirt out yeah. of the thing that they were trying to excavate. So, you know, when we're talking about Coldavay and these, this, you know, archaeologists and team of people working with them, uh, looking for the hanging gardens or whatever it is, it's not like they checked everything out and they thought, okay, maybe that's not here. Because it's a huge site. Again, they built a railway to get the dirt out and they looked everywhere they possibly could and it just wasn't, it didn't seem to be there. Right. Unless unless it completely fully collapsed and there was zero, you know, um, zero, there's no way you could uh, look at one of the structures that still kind of at least in some way stands there. I just don't think it's possible that they missed the hanging gardens. Right. Well, it unless so it's under the Euphrates. It could be under the Euphrates, but there's some weird stuff there because when Babylon was you know, conquered and everything, the Euphrates River was diverted away from the city for a time, which is, you know, makes me think it probably, I don't know, maybe they built it when it was moved away, but that doesn't match up with the timelines. I don't know, man. It's still it just, a maybe, yeah. It, it feels like to me it just wasn't ever in Babylon, and I'm glad we're going, you know, checking out some other places because I think some of the Assyrian kings may have wanted to make something like this too oh they definitely wrote about it right shout out to oxford university assyriologist stephanie dolly daly uh the author of a book called lost gardens of babylon this professor is legitimate uh she argues that the hanging gardens were not built by nebuchadnezzar at in Babylon at all, nebuchadnezzar ii but in nineveh by an assyrian ruler named here we go. Uh, Sinacherub. Sinacherub. I don't know why I'm doing Alex Trebek voice. That always irritated me on Jeopardy when Alex Trebek <laughs> would, uh, and he, uh, by all accounts, a tremendous guy, but awesome game show host. But, you know, he would read, sometimes he'd read off the answers as though he, uh, as though he was super familiar with it. So sorry That's about sort that. of his job, though, you know, sure, back confidence. I mean, but right? don't act, don't, you know, you've got the card in front of you. He, man. Do, he does have the card. He didn't he didn't write the questions. And he is definitely not the possessor of the wealth of Jeopardy Pantheon knowledge. But he's a really um, cool guy. Yeah. And uh, an RIP national treasure. Um, and uh, this argument uh, leans pretty heavily on some records that were found. Uh, these prism shaped stone records uh, that chronicled the reign of the king. And there is a passage uh, that quotes the king directly in saying, uh, I raised the height of the surroundings of the palace to be a wonder in capital uh, for all peoples. A high garden imitating the Amanus Mountains. I laid out next to it with all kinds of aromatic plants. That's, that fits the bill, guys, wouldn't you say? The idea of mimicking a different, um, you know, uh, climate, the idea of, of mimicking a different landscape, and that in and of itself is sort of the flex, right? It's like, I can, I can build anything. I'm the king. And it does sound like a kick-ass garden. Indeed. And, and just, you know, just to... to Go back to what I was saying. Um, this really does feel in keeping with the uh, the notion of the king of Babylon imitating a landscape, right? That was like the whole kind of deal. So this very much him saying that you know I will raise a high garden imitating the Amanus Mountains. Um, I laid next to it with all kinds. I laid out next to it with all kinds of aromatic plants. I mean, this really is 
I mean, it could well be parallel thinking, you know, I mean, this again, like that, the idea of controlling the environment is kind of a tale as old as time and something that man has always sort of aspired to be able to do. I mean, that's sort of what building, you know, architecture is in and of itself. But the idea of controlling the environment is in a way a godlike power. Mm-hmm. And Senator Cherub's records from the records from that administration Talk about this imitation of Mount Amanus, uh, which is a, a range in um, the very, very south of modern-day Turkey, just just the same way people talked about Babylon's king Nebuchadnezzar II imitating Persian landscapes for his uh, for his paramour. Another argument in favor of this uh, is the idea that the Senator administration was also really well known for irrigation and engineering innovations. If there was someone to build a complex irrigation system in this area at this time, it would be this dude. Uh, Well, I say this dude, it would be this dude's administration uh, and civilization. Uh, And that's why for a while, some historians even credited him with the invention of the Archimedes water screw. But again, all we know about the Archimedes water screw is it was definitely not invented by Archimedes. And it works. Have you guys seen the new Indiana Jones film yet? Is it out? No. It, it is out in a big, this isn't a spoiler because it's literally, the name of the film is uh, The Dial of Destiny, which refers to the Antithicara mechanism. Antithicara, oh, I think I said that right. Uh, which is, you know, supposedly a lost invention of Archimedes. Um, and again, Archimedes sort of represents this innovative mind you know uh, of history like like again like he is sort of credited with being the first person to like invent maths you know i mean not exactly but i'm overstating the case but that's sort of what happens you know with guys like that who just occupy such a massive space in history and loom so large that the ideas of others often get kind of lumped in with things that maybe they didn't have anything to do with or that they were just kind of copying or improving upon yeah a single individual or name becomes kind of a an historical repository for a bunch of other stories, a bunch of other events and inventions. But this this is interesting too because archaeologists found an aqueduct system built during the reign of Sennacherib uh, that used two million blocks of stone. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was like a big deal. It was a, it was a genuine public work. So right now, as a result, this Assyrian argument is one of the most intriguing and plausible theories surrounding the mystery of the Hanging Gardens. Maybe they were just, maybe people were just looking in the wrong place for a long time and found many other amazing things on the way. Ben, don't 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 we typically credit the ancient Romans uh, and the Greeks with inventing aqueducts and irrigation and stuff? I mean, just in general, like, is this? In in dispute, like are we are we like questioning even whether or not this technology actually existed, or, or do we we know about these two million blocks? If so, I would think that it would be unequivocally credited to the Assyrians. <laughs> you know, the oh, idea I, of inventing public works and aqueducts. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good question. I think right now the first aqueduct is considered to be the Aqua Appia, uh, which was made in by ancient Romans. It's a good question. Who gets the uh, who gets the credit for that one? 
if enough time passes, you know, and we're the last podcast around that survives and mentions the word aqueducts, maybe we'll be in the history books. Well, it's also the nature of conquering forces, isn't it? You know, if you conquer and topple a civilization, you can then rewrite the history books in your favor and take credit for a lot of their innovations. History is um, written so, by so the it is good. It is good that at least some of these uh, little remnants, historical remnants remain to at least call into question some of that stuff. But um, yeah, the idea, it's so much easier just to swallow the, 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 the big story painted by the winners than it is to maybe think a little further back or a little deeper. And Matt, there's a great quote you found, which I believe is it it hits on one of the most frustrating parts of this mystery, uh, and it comes from the uh, the expert you cited earlier. Maybe we end with this one. Oh uh, yeah, Grant Frame. He he gave a talk you can find on YouTube right now titled "Great Wonders: Colon Searching for the Hanging Gardens of Babylon." Uh, he just says, "All right, when we're we're talking about the." <laughs> the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Like, I could tell you all about all this other stuff in Babylon. I could tell you about all these other things. Like, let's talk about that for days. But the Hanging Gardens, well, we don't know where they were. We don't know what they looked like. And maybe we found them, but we didn't recognize them. And they're lost again. <laughs> so Completely it's like... possible. <laughs> and unlike the, unlike the gardens of Babylon or wherever they may be, uh, we try to be very easy to find. So you won't need an intense excavation. You won't need to build uh, your own rail infrastructure. All you have to do is pop online, give us a call, or drop us an email. Yes, point your browser to any number of uh, social media uh, uh, sites. Are we on Threads yet, guys? Uh, we should. No. We should we have? A, no. Do no, you know the thing not. about Threads? Do you know the big news? If you start a Threads account, first off, no one reads terms and conditions. We should do an episode about that. If you start a Threads account and you decide it's not for you, and you want to cancel your account then you also have to cancel your Instagram account. If you have what? an Instagram account. Yeah. So it's like walking into a restaurant saying, oh, you know, this isn't for me. I, I, I'm not into it. And then so having guess, the manager uh, pop out the back of the kitchen and say, you can leave if you want, but you'll never enter another restaurant again. Yeah. Well, I guess the key there is like how many of us have, you know, social media accounts that we just don't even look at. I did the thing. I'm such a dummy. Gosh, I wish I would have waited until we had this. No, I am. I, I did the thing and I looked at it and I was like, okay, but that, that is definitely not in the bold print because there is no bold print because they make it so easy for you just to click through. Oh, you get all your followers. You're only going to be looking at stuff from them. Um, and I believe Zuckerberg netted about 10 million new users overnight. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and you you know, and obviously this they pushed the launch of this thing um, over the holiday kind of quietly um, while Twitter is at its absolute lowest. Um, so, you know, kind of funny how Zuckerberg point, poured all this money into this metaverse thing, totally fell on his face. And now he's back in the news by just doing what he's always done and copied other folks. Well, so. Can I pay go. for some kind of blue thread so everybody knows I'm legit? Or no, you no? don't. You don't pay. You can't. That's oh. the thing. You can't. You can't pay for it on Instagram. Uh, that's exclusively a Twitter thing, and part of the reason that uh, it's become such an embarrassing debacle. But that's an episode for another day. Possibly an update in our next strange news. Uh, you can, in fact, though, point your browser to our uh, handle Conspiracy Stuff on Twitter, uh, YouTube, and Facebook. Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram and TikTok. If you like to call and talk to people on a voicemail system, why don't you call 
1-833-STDWITK. You've got three minutes, say whatever you'd like, give yourself a cool nickname, and let us know if we can use your message and name on the air. If you don't want to do any of that, but you still want to talk with us, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks. scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich man because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.